Welcome to today's episode of Fire in the Belly. This is where we get to hear some pretty inspiring stories from some amazing people. You know, it's always an absolute pleasure to sit down, take time out and have a warts and all conversation about their journey. I'm always intrigued by what it's taken for people to get to where they are today. And hopefully in this interview, we get to hear some more about that. From this, my mission is to help people to find their own fire in their belly. And from that, to live the mightiest version of you. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Hello and welcome to Fire in the Belly. Today we have myself, Mighty Pete, and we are joined by the Jim Barnish. Good morning, first of all, to you, Jim. Good morning, Pete. Very happy to be here. Love the name of the show because there is definitely a fire in my belly. <laughs> listen, it's great. Listen, great to have you on. So listen, for the, for the listeners today, it's absolutely awesome to have Jim here. So Jim has spent the last two decades as a serial entrepreneur, operator, investor, and an M&A expert, so mergers and acquisitions. So Jim now runs Orchard Black, a boutique growth service uh, services firm, complete with a serial entrepreneurs and growth experts. All are accomplished operators and consultants with an investor mindset and a history of value creation and exits. Like an orchard, a company's maximum value emerges from cultivating growth. Orchard Black's business model not only accelerates this value, but aligns their own compensation with their partners, partner clients' successes. If founders, CEOs who are listening are interested in learning how to grow your business and maximize your exit value, wealth, and legacy, listen up, buckle in, you're in for the right. Awesome to have you on, Jim. Listen, that's great. And you have a, a fantastic thing. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go straight in here. What is your fire in the belly, Jim? I'm sorry, what was that? What is your fire in the belly? My fire in the belly? Um, I have a mission for just plain growth. <laughs> Ever since I've been a kid, um, I've been, I was kind of thrown into my family business at the age of 15. And I've been focused on growing companies and growing people. And between those two things, I uh, literally, it's literally why I wake up in the morning. <laughs> it's what gets me excited. And uh, ultimately the same reason that I, that I started Orchid Black. Wow. It's, uh, which, which is more important for you, growing the company or growing the people? What's the priority? Oh, definitely think? growing the people. I think if, if you're focused on growing the people as a leader, then the people are focused on growing the company and taking care of the customers. So absolutely um growing people through really solid leadership cool well listen i, I love that so tell me on a day-to-day -day basis then who are you serving and, and really you know what is it that makes you guys stand out yeah so imagine you're a founder and you've built a really strong company by a lot of measures have achieved success but there's just some targets you're missing um you're hitting some you're missing others and ultimately you're looking for a team of growth and value creation experts that are both able to help you understand how much your business is worth today and how much unlocked value, if you will, there is within your business that could be unlocked within the next couple of years. Um, and then a team, you know, that same team is willing to partner with you and align their fees or their business model to your company's um, growth and performance. And that's really what we do at Orchid Black. We're those growth experts. We've got a, a SWAT team, if you will, of about 35 hand-selected strategists and operators and research experts. And we help founders and their teams navigate all the common hurdles and value creation obstacles, if you will, that ultimately help them realize a lot more value in their business on the path towards exit. And that's our focus. So, you know, when we look at who that who that really focuses on, it's founders with tech focused tech focused companies, mostly software, but we also do hardware and tech enabled services that are typically between a few million and fifty million in annual revenue when we take them on, that are looking to exit within the next six to thirty six months, and that ultimately are in the black, which is part of where the name Orchid Black comes from. Um, meaning that they are profitable or at least have line of sight towards becoming profitable. So, you know, that's our, that's our real focus. We'll only take clients on if we can see at least 50 to 100% year-over-year value creation that we can bring to the business, meaning that if a company is worth $20 million today uh, and we have a, a two-year path to 
exit, if you will. Um, we'll only you know, take that company on if we can see 100 to 200% value creation within that business over the next two years. So pretty special, right? 20 million today, that would be at least 40 million tomorrow um, or 40 million in two years. And that's pretty, that's pretty special for us. And what is that? I mean, I, I mean, I'm going to try and summarize your business in a few words here, which is probably now an impossible, but is it, is it a mixture of inward looking and outward looking? Is it a, is it a combination of both or where do you tend is, to find most value? Yeah, it, it, it is. You know, one of the things that, that we really noticed as we were looking at the market um, is that the market really needed an objective lens to view a company's potential. And nothing really existed in the market that looked at both the organization and the market strategy from more of a 360 perspective. Um, and our challenge was really creating something comprehensive but simple because founders can't spend a million dollars on an army of McKinsey or big three or big four consultants, right? We needed a way to tell founders what they needed to know about their business in a few short weeks. And the answer became our value creation assessment, what we call the VCA, which is a system that looks at everything around the company in the market. So market, strategy, talent, product, revenue, operations, really everything that creates value in the business um, and drives the business forward. And so we spent a lot of time figuring out the right way to analyze both that, both the current state, if you will, and the impact that our specific team could have on that business. And ultimately where we ended up is something that's plug and play at every tech company we work with um, that is customized to the business, but it's essentially able to tell a founder exact steps that are needed to achieve really transformational success, a roadmap, if you will. Um, which is kind of the, the what a company needs to grow. Um, and then if we, bring, you know, if we bring our team into it after that VCA, if you will, um, that's where we focus on our playbook, our how, the blueprints and plays to operate alongside of these founders. And sometimes founders will choose to operate those recommendations on their own. But the majority of time, um, provided the, the value creation opportunity is there, We'll partner with them on all of the execution in the business. So it's a pretty, pretty differentiated value that we're bringing to the market. Do you tend to be bringing lenders in as well? I mean, is it does it get to that stage when you're either raising funding or finance or, you know, if arranging for buyouts, etc.? Do you is that the whole handholding? There is um, oftentimes an investment um, element, whether that's debt or equity, that's needed to drive the growth. Um, it's not always the case. Um, and since our engagements are typically six to 36 months in nature, you know, longer, basically the exit on the other side of that mm. six to 36 months, it really depends on what that engagement looks like. Um, but ultimately, there's always a transaction at the end of it that we're driving, whether that's to private equity or trade sale or taking the founder, taking some chips off of the table, if you will. Uh, and uh, and so, again, sometimes capital is leveraged as part of that, um, but not always. What's I mean, do, do you see this coming now? I mean, you, you've done it for sort of a, quite some time, and and do you, can you really almost sniff the value before you have to actually get the calculator out? Is that are you at that stage? Yeah, ultimately, there's there's definitely um, the experience, if you will. <laughs> That, that's able to um, pinpoint um, early on what those uh, opportunities are. I think it's the, the scientific part, right? That's kind of the art, if you will. There's the science, which is more of the data collection, the insights gathering, and, and ultimately getting to exact numbers of value that we can drive within the business. And that's, that's more of the science part, because there's really always an art and a science to everything. Um, and that, that's especially true as it comes to building companies. Am I talking to basically a spreadsheet geek, somebody who just lives and breathes spreadsheet? Is that a, is that a fair accusation? I wish it was. I, I think you probably used to be. I'm, I'm probably spent almost all my time on the art side of things at this point, um, but we definitely have a ton of spreadsheet geeks. I wish I could spend more time. I guess I probably am a spreadsheet geek. I just don't spend my time in them anymore. Um, right. But, uh, but ultimately, yeah, we've got some incredible research and, uh, you know, data freaks, if you will, on the team 
that really are you know instrumental in, in supplementing the experience of our partners. And it's an incredible thing to be able to see, you know, how fast we can deliver value with with founders and their companies. It's it is really awesome. Wow. My it's fire up, if you will. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. It's it's is to be able to spot that and do that, you know. And is that something, you know, is that something that always comes naturally to you? I mean, are you where you're supposed to be, if that makes sense? Um I am definitely where I'm supposed to be. I don't know if you're familiar with this Japanese concept of Ikigai, right? Mm. The ultimate form of happiness. But um, it took me a really long time to, um, to evaluate, if, if, if you will, um, where my Ikigai is. And for those of you that don't know Ikigai, it's essentially when your, what you love aligns with what you're great at, which also aligns with the impact that you can have on the world and ultimately what you can get paid to do. And those four things really simplify, um, if you look at it in a, in a pie chart, if you will, um, or not a pie chart, sorry, if you look at it in some sort of infographic that aligns all of these different things and, um, and ultimately kind of highlights what the middle of them is, um, you really can um, start to simplify the value proposition that you're looking for in life um, and, and in your career. Um, and I searched for a long time on different ways to be able to find something like Ikigai and stumbled on it by accident, if you will. Um, I, geez, probably uh, over a decade now, perhaps. Thought it seemed way too simple. Uh, spent a lot of time going through all these you know career assessments and, and analyzing different things about what I was great at, what I loved. And and ultimately, it kind of boiled down to, wow, I should probably go back to this Ikigai thing. <laughs> it's simple, but it actually uh, makes a ton of sense. And, and so, yeah, that's a, that's a long way of saying um, that I've spent two decades doing what I'm doing. And it wasn't until um, I really did that analysis um, of, you know, several years ago prior to starting Orchid Black that really led me to, you've got to start your own firm that's focused on all the obstacles that you went through when you were building companies, whether that's, you know, strategy and talent misalignment or product market fit issues or failed go-to-market expansion or acquisition, operational efficiencies, you name it, um, because all growth stage businesses just seem to hit this inflection point, whether that be at 5 million or 10 million or 20 million or whatever the number is, it's essentially more aligned with what problems are being experienced and what stage of the business that they're in that ultimately, you know, need some assistance and some navigation, which I ultimately wish I had when I was in the business working on and in the business. Now I'm lucky enough to focus on businesses. Right. Um, but when you're in the middle of it um, and you're not able to kind of see the forest from the trees, it is very difficult to make your way through all of those um stagnancy issues if you will um and it is really hard to push through um so yeah so anyways <laughs> that is that is uh that is an even longer way of saying i am absolutely where i need to be i will do this until the day i die whether i do it full-time or part-time and i could not imagine doing anything else quite frankly that's awesome I and mean, that's great to be to be sitting in that position right you know that actually because I, I generally think there's very few people get that opportunity to do that. They spend a lifetime. Some may find it, some may not. And I know, completely agree. Yeah. I completely agree. And it's unfortunate, right? Hmm. Because it is, um, it is magic when you find it. And ultimately, it, is, um, it does take some of the right luxuries to be able to take the time in your life to do something like that and be able to take risks, which not everyone can take. But um, if you are able to kind of just take a step back from your personal life, look at, um, you know, what you're looking to accomplish as it relates to both career and, um, you know, the, the you, <laughs> uh, it, is, uh, it is transformational if you're able to align all of those four things, what you're good at, what you get, can get paid to do, the impact that you can have on the world, and ultimately, um, what I miss uh what you love to do hmm. so um 
that's that's really you know a, a special a special feeling when you can make that happen. Out of your experience, then, I mean, when you're going to companies, what what do you typically, or if you like a top three or top five of companies, and you know whether there's locked up value and the question I suppose being is why why is it you know why are they not where they're supposed to be or they could be let's say yeah um this one might surprise most people but typically um the first the first number one answer is something that translates to founder burnout or founder um uh, misunderstanding of what needs to be done within the business at that point in time, right? On the burnout side, it's something that we as founders don't really talk about because it, we feel like it makes us look weak hmm. when we talk about these things, when actually it really just makes us human. Um, and there's really no, there's really no guide out there on how to blitz scale your life as a founder, the same way there is, is how to blitz scale your company. Um, and we don't really recognize what's happening in our own life because we're taught this whole, this hustle culture that startups and gross, growing businesses is just supposed to be hard. And, and it is, right? Um, it, it's not easy at all. In fact, oftentimes I kind of compare it to pro athletes, right? We're trying to accomplish the impossible in a lot of ways. And the probability of success is incredibly low. In fact, in technology businesses, it's upwards of 95% failure rate, right? Um, but we still want to do it because the rewards are so worth it. Um, but just like pro athletes, we need to train, right? We need to play to win. We need to recover and we need to celebrate and then repeat, right? Train again. And Ultimately, that training part and that recovery part are just as important as playing to win. <laughs> um, but instead, this hustle culture just just gets at us, and we're taught that everyone should be working twenty four seven, and we're always playing to win. But what about the rest of that equation? That train, recover, and actually that celebrate, like celebrating little wins too, um, which may just sound so dumb because at first it did for me. But ultimately, just like athletes, we need a system. Um, we need stamina. <laughs> and we need um, a, a, a systematic approach to growing our personal lives, growing ourselves the same way that, you know, we at Orchid Black, for instance, provide a systematic way towards growing companies. And, um, you know, I, I hit my version of burnout a, a number of times, but most recently, um, a couple of years ago in this business and in, in Orchid Black. And, and I looked at the impact that I was having on um, not just my business, but also um, on my personal life, on, you know, on my fiance, on the, um, on the, the real nature of being uh, not just a founder, but, but a human being, because <laughs> we don't have to be superhuman. We, we can be human because we are human. <laughs> um, and I guess, you know, I, I could go on and on talking about this, but, you know, I developed my own system um, and I, I work with found some, I work with founders to help develop their own personal system. Most of which starts with um, hiring an executive coach when you're ready, <laughs> because having that person to lean on and talk to and help bring you to be the better version of you um, versus just focusing on your company or in your company all the time is um, an incredible opportunity for you to train and recover. And if, if you want me, I, I could, again, I could talk through my system if that's helpful here, or, you know, feel free to ask any other follow-up questions here, Pete, but it's something that I'm really, really passionate about. No, it's cool. I mean, it's, it's, it's great to see it. And, I suppose if we were to, to line all your clients up, I mean, what, what would we expect to see? Is there a pattern that you find that you guys either specialize with or, you know, the certain people that you find is the best value opportunity? Yeah. So if I, if I look at first that, that, that first thing, right, that founder burnout, which is if we equate that problem to opportunity, uh, um, the first four things that boil down from there are that revenue is growing faster than talent. Um, that there's an erosion of accountability, mm -hmm. that the 
there's a um, lost voice, if you will, of the front line. Um, and that the founder is that there's an unscalable founder in the business, right? Those are four huge impediments towards evolution of the business from a simply founder run business to a market leader, if you will. And so those are four things that are core elements where problem meets opportunity as it relates to founder burnout. Um, if we look past just the founder um, into the business itself, there is a um, philosophical way that we view value creation or transferable value, if you will, which ultimately starts with who the um, acquirer is on the other side of the transaction. Um, and it's, it's ultimately a pyramid, if you will. I'll picture this pyramid where strategy is at the top, um, talent is your next layer, product, revenue, and then operations. So, you know, you build a strategy, you hire talent around that strategy, you, uh, that talent builds a product or service, and that product or service then drives revenue towards the business. And, and the operational elements obviously run, you know, make everything run on time and make sure that business is in working order. Most businesses stop at table stakes, which is essentially the operations layer and the revenue layer, right? I'm going to get valued on multiple of EBITDA. I'm going to get valued on multiple of revenue. I'm going to, I, I need to focus on driving as much sales into the business. I need to focus on, right, creating a predictable revenue engine. All of these things are super important. Don't get me wrong, right? But the real value in a business sits above that operations and revenue layer at what transferable value that product or service is going to have, what transferable value that talent that you have on, you know, within your organization is going to bring, and and the ability of that talent to be beyond you as the founder and beyond the executive team, but truly be an engine that doesn't have key men attached to it or key women attached to it, that that ultimately is is truly a business, not reliant on the founder. And then there's a strategic element above that, which is the reason why acquisitions like, you know. LinkedIn being purchased by Microsoft at the valuations that it was happened. It's, it's not simply X revenue equals Y valuation or X profitability equals Y valuation. It is based on the transferable value that exists within that business. And that is a big educational element that we work through is that pyramid from strategy all the way through operations and looking at every angle of the business to identify where all of that unlocked value truly is, which really depends on stage of the business, right? Um, you could be, you're looking for different things pre-product market fit than you are when you're building efficiencies into the business, which is different than when you're preparing for scale, right? And, it, and there's, if you start to align the stage of maturity of the business to that philosophical way of looking at transferable value from strategy to operations, it is amazing the aha moments that people get when you really simplify things down to that level because it aligns perfectly to all of the things that they've been struggling to think, to, struggling to put together, if you will, for such a long time. And so I love, if you look at the fire up in my belly, it's, it's those aha moments that founders get that it can be simple. But ultimately, um, so sometimes you're working so hard in your business that that you fail to take a step back and and look at look on your business and focus on your business and understand that just like it's okay to bring on an executive coach, just like it's okay to admit to founder burnout, it's also okay to admit to company burnout and that you need some outside expertise to bring in and help drive the business forward. That's that's a uh, that's that's a long way of saying um, you know strategy through operations really is is a focus of ours as it relates to tran transferable value. And, and and in your experience, I mean, is that is that pain barrier? I mean, because they talk about you know saying being a being a business owner for a million dollar company or multi million dollar company is very different strategically and very different in thinking and evolution to a billion dollar company, right? So mm. and and are do you find that that's, is it a thinking mindset? Is it, you know, you talk about, is it burnout that actually to get them to this growth stage that that's taken that present set of thinking? 
do people tend to then be able to evolve or does it take a different viewpoint or a different management structure, a different, different set of individuals to push it on to the next level in your experience? It, it depends on the company. It depends on the founder's adaptability and um, ability to, to kind of evolve in terms of what I would consider the five levels of leadership. Uh, most founders are not able to move from level one all the way through level five, um, and that's okay. Um, some are. So as part of that, as part of that same philosophy of, you know, transferable value in the business, we really do work with the founders on, on their leadership style and their leadership abilities. And not only is, are some, some capable and some incapable, but some just don't want that level of leadership responsibility. <laughs> some are great at getting a business off the ground and handing it off. Some are great at getting the business off the ground into five or 10 or 20 million and then handing it off. Um, and, and some can take it all the way. Um, you know, the, the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world, if you will. Um, so, you know, ultimately there is, um, uh, there is a, a level of analysis that needs to be done, not only on the business, but also on the founders. And that, that five, that five uh, levels of leadership, if you will, is a big part of it that's at the core for us. But where's your sweet spot, Jim? I mean, when, when, do, when do people get you in the room and then get you out of the room? What's, what, what's, <laughs> sort of, what's your, your good and your bad, if you like? Depends who you ask. Some people might say, as soon as I get in the room, they want me out of the room. But no, um, <laughs> uh, just, just kidding. I think, um, you know, my, my sweet spot's always been early on in a business um, that is, uh, you know, between call it 3 million and, and, and 20 million, right? We've got partners that focus on some of the later stages beyond that. But my focus is on companies between 3 million and 20 million, you know, after there's some element of, of product market fit, um, really working to determine what's going what's gonna to really prove out that product market fit, meaning draw, have those customers drawing you in, right? Rather than you having to push your services or your product out to, to other founders, or sorry, to other, to, to your customers. Um, and, and with that comes what I would say a, um, somewhere between a level, uh, a level three and, um, and level four, if you will, um, form of leadership. So I'm still working on getting to my level five as, as a leader, which my executive coach is helping me with. Um, and, you know, as, as far as those levels of leadership go, I mean, level one is really focused on people, people follow you because they have to, right? Um, level two is people follow you because they want to. Uh, level three is people follow you because of what you've done for the organization, you know, really results, if you will. Um, and level four is people follow because of what you've done for them. And ultimately, the final level, which I'm still working on, on getting to, is people follow you because of who you are and what you represent. And I'm really in tune with my own mission, right? My own feeling, if you will, my own pinnacle, which is kind of that level five leadership. But um, equating that back to my place and in, in the place I fit best in building businesses, um, it really fits well with other founders who are going through their own you know, leadership development, if you will, going through their own challenges of kind of making their way up, not only the, uh, the growth revenue ladder, but also the, uh, the personal leadership ladder. Um, and so I would say, you know, that whole philosophy of we talked about earlier of bring on the right people and they'll take care of your customers is a big theme of what I work on with founders on more of the personal side. Um, which is really exciting for me, just given the, the, you know, the area that I like to focus on in building a business and building up founders as well. Where, I mean, where do your own personal core values sit? What's, what's your, you know, your, your main ethos or mantra that you, you subscribe to personally? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I mean, a lot of it ties back to, it may sound silly, but um, where we've gotten to, as a company from our own mantra and, and value proposition. And, and it, it really relates to um, grow, grow smart and then grow fast. Because <laughs> if you focus, whether it's your company or yourself, if you focus on doing too many things 
or growing too fast um, without first building in some fundamental uh, building blocks, if you will, of growth, um, you're doomed. You're doomed, right? Like you're, 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 we are human, as I've probably said a hundred times already. <laughs> and uh, all the people in our company are also, our companies are also human. And so grow smart, grow fast is really the representation um, of the orchid, right? Um, the flower that can grow for over a hundred years straight when tended to properly. And um, that doesn't necessarily shoot up, right? Um, but that can grow to the highest of all flowers over that hundred years when pruned and, and worked on and, and really you know, put building blocks in place to drive growth, which is a big part of what our name represents and our mantra and, and, and in tune my personal mantra of, of growth around not just growing super fast, uh, but also, but first building those, you know, creating those building blocks, if you will, to allow for scale, to allow for fast growth. So that's, you know, that's, that's really, uh, that's really important to me and, and in tune, really important to Orchid Black as a whole. Take me through sort of life before Orchid Black and, and, you know, what, what you what you learned from that, I suppose, the lessons that you wanted to bring into play here. Oh, yeah, I got I guess so many. <laughs> um, let's start with let's start with life before let's start with life before Orchid Black. Um, and I've got a rebranding story that attaches to our name that I think is uh, really in, in in tune with my own personal growth too. So um, from my start in my family business, which was really when I was fifteen, with very little to go on other than a learner's permit and a lot of motivation and drive and excitement. Um, I spent you know, the first few years working on M&A for the family business. Um, we grew from, geez, about 40 million when I got there to about 600 million when I left. Um, and now it's over a billion dollar company. Um, my role was entirely focused on M&A, so mergers and acquisitions, growth through acquiring other companies. Um, and I saw, um, even as, as wonderful as our growth was, just how many um, missed goals and targets even we had, just how much missed opportunity there was in our business. And ultimately, um, you know, family businesses drive family squabbles, which in tune drive family to um, have a lot of resentment towards one another and a lot of sleepless nights, whether you found the company or you're just in the business. And so I learned a ton through, you know, all of that early um, inorganic growth um, and kind of took a lot, a lot of that knowledge, worked through the years to move not just from M&A growth, but also more organic sales, marketing and, and general business growth. Um, and all of the businesses, all the growth stage technology companies that I worked alongside experienced all of the same growth and value creation obstacles, right? I mentioned some of them earlier, but, you know, misalignment on strategy and talent, lack of product market fit, pricing and cost issues, failed go-to-market expansion, things like this that that ultimately led them to hitting an inflection point or me hitting an inflection point when I was in them. And all of them needed some level of guide, if you will, to help them navigate effectively, whether it was my family business or any of the other businesses that I was consulting or operating in. And um, you know, making my way through in total probably about 45 transactions and five exits as either an operator or investor, um, and over a billion dollars in shareholder value created throughout the years. There just had to be a better way. <laughs> there just had there had to be a better way. Um, whether I was looking at it from the investor lens or the operating lens, and um, the last decade of that or so was with my now co-founder Stephen Horowitz, um, whose impact, honestly, and, and his impact and outcomes, you know, far exceed mine. Um, and I, you know, we felt like there just needed to be this better way to get to these successes 
than trial and error, given how much error we had seen along the way, just in the businesses that we were working in or on. Um, and so we spent our recent years really identifying and documenting a, a path, a more deterministic way, if you will, to make technology businesses worth so much more that again takes in account the, the transferable value based on stage or maturity of a business. Um, and some might call this a methodology, right? I hate that word. Consulting to me is, has this, this mantra around it that just makes methodology such a negative word to me. But, but ultimately, you know, the founders we work it with call it, which may sound even sillier, miracle growth for companies. <laughs> um, so through my trials and tribulations, through, you know, Stevens, and ultimately through the other, the 30 plus folks we've got on the team, trials and tribulations, we've really developed and honed this methodology over the years, this miracle growth for companies, if you will. Um, and um, it's something that uh, that is pretty special and unique, I think, to us and also why we're willing to take bets on the companies that we that we work with. Right. That's not normal to align your fee structure with the business growth or performance. But we're really confident in what we've built and in the founders that we select working with. So all of those lessons learned really throughout the years, um, I, I, you know, really passionate about taking those same things and bringing them to other founders and other companies. Um, bring that to what we went through. Um, if I can keep going, is that all right? Yeah, sure, sure. Where we went to with our strategic rebrand, we were called this dodgy old you know, non-innovative brand called Morgan Hill Partners, right? It sounds like an attorney or a, a, a 20-year-old private equity firm. Um, someone that, you know, isn't innovative and, and just sounds like, oh, like, okay, you're going you're gonna to help me be more innovative. You're going to help me drive value. Well, make sure your name <laughs> represents it. Um, and, and we analyzed and looked at the market and, and, and heard a lot of feedback um, during you know this time in 2020 when we were all undergoing this this period of introspection um, within ourselves and our companies you know COVID, you know COVID world if you will um, and realized that we um, that we needed a strategic rebrand which is perhaps one of the hardest things I've ever had to go through as a business owner and something that's added a ton of value to our business. Um, and mission, which is all too misaligned and thought of as useless in a company because people don't use or think of it as what it, what it really is, which is purpose, um, is, uh, is something that we really internalized um, and, and focused on. And, and our mission, you know, our fire, it really was um, using our experience-driven insight from all these years and, and our ability to execute, to uplift companies and amplify their value, not only in the marketplace, but in the world, um, which is back to that Ikigai concept, right? Really focused on impact, not just value. Um, and, you know, in this, in this lush jungle, if you will, of opportunity, you know, we really do truly hunt for that rare breed of partner like this promising business with a super unique offering. Um, and like any prized exotic orchid, an exceptional company's value really emerges with that expert pruning and care over the years, cultivating growth, if you will. And, and ultimately, when properly nurtured, everything can thrive, right? Orchids, companies, um, everything across the board. So I think... Um, as we as we look at you know those 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 lessons learned um, those um, those those hard things to take a look at like mission vision values um, those are some real lessons learned for me um, in, you know up until even including right that strategic rebrand that I mentioned and I've got a million other lessons learned that um, you know if you want me to keep going I'm happy to share. Well, I had a question because I just want to reflect back there. I mean, you, you talked about impact versus value, you know, mm. and, and deciding which is which. I mean, are, are those intrinsically linked to each other? Uh, they are, whether whether intrinsically or or non-extrinsic, you know, it, it, it's, 
they are linked. They are not. Um, they are not completely the same, though, right? So yes, absolutely. There's an effect that either that either has on the other, especially the the passion that connects to what you're building. Um, but I have run into so many companies and and been in so many companies where the passion they're they're growing, but the passion just just isn't there. And whether it's next year or a couple of years later, that growth really starts to subside and become stagnant. Um, and so that. That's where kind of that linkage that you're mentioning, I think, really comes from um, and something that we see quite a bit. It's always that, that thing, isn't it? It's, and I, I'm just wondering with founders as well. I mean, you know, I suppose as people, especially if you're a founder and, and um, you know, the creator of the company and you go through the natural stages of your own life, I think we all do, you know, whereby you go through growth phases, you go through maturity phase, you go through, you know, reflection phase, you go through sort of legacy phases, right? So it also depends on their journey. And mm -hmm. you know, do I want to serve, you know, do I want to serve myself? Do I want to, you know, where it's at? Does that, does that make sense? So, I mean, almost the, uh, the maturity level maybe of the company, the maturity level of the management, and then the maturity level of the founders and, and trying to get those aligned to each other is probably tricky enough, right? Yeah, it absolutely does. And not all founding teams, right, um, stay together. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in, in, in 2017, we were in our infancy and, and I had two co-founders. Um, we were in our ideation stage, if you will, or our discovery stage about how to bring our vision into the market. And the opportunity was clear. Um, the, uh, the way that the three of us could work together was clear. Um, and, um, formalizing the firm in 2018 and hitting the ground running, we learned, we learned a lot about our co-founding team, if you will. Um, and, um, that version one team, um, despite the, the great impact that we had in our ideation, our discovery phase, um, after many long conversations, long days and experiments to write the ship redefine roles, right? Uh, we finally decided, decided to part ways with, with one of our co-founders, which simply sucked. <laughs> it's not, not the first time I had to do it, but it's, um, it, and it might not be the last, but it's, it's, not, it's not great, right? Um, someone that we had put this indeterminable trust and faith in across the team, well, really all three of us across the team, and it, we expected him to be a partner for the next five to 10 years or longer. Um, had in, in some ways, you know, let the company down. Def, we, you know, it, there's always blame on across the board, um, right? So it's easy to blame each other, but ultimately like we had all let each other down. Um, and it, that's a hard thing to admit. That's a, that's a hard thing to, to cut bait on something like that when it's, when it's so people integral, um, whether it's, you know, firing a founder or firing uh, an employee. And it didn't take the company off rails, which it could have given how pivotal that point in time was. Um, but it, it absolutely set us back in order to jump forward. And sometimes you do need to break things down to push forward. Um, you know, our team now is, is, an, is, is, is proof of that. Um, and that is something that, that is very hard for a lot of founders to, to do, whether that's again, firing a founder or firing an employee. But you've got to accept what's in your control and what's not. And sometimes things outside of your control require you to, to just go above and beyond your comfort zone to push the company forward. And, um, and that, was a, that was a good learning lesson for me. It's interesting because I mean, I one of the things I was going to ask you there is, you know what, is there something that's, with the benefit of hindsight and experience now you would do differently and also then is there something that you are most proud of that you you've done a bit of a two-phase question yeah um <clears throat> i'm going to stay on this theme of 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 team and and um and evolution of team because i think i've got two i've got two things that that point directly to it um I 
as many people can relate to 2020 again was a tough year resulted in a lot of introspection and, and outwardly our company orchid black was growing but i personally felt like i had plateaued as a leader um right even with all this experience i really plateaued as a leader and was having trouble getting to my next level um and my own advisory and peer and and general network recommended that i look into an executive coach which i had shunned for years um and um i went down a path that resulted in dozens of conversations until i landed on my coach coach mike <laughs> who um i felt was right for me and fast forward a year later i just simply feel so thankful working with mike has been so transformative for me as a as a founder as a leader as a fiance as a friend um as a human um and you know, you know, things like looking at a 360 of yourself <laughs> are hard to do when you're when you're the person in front, right? Um, they're hard to do in general by getting feedback from people that and, and having a space for them to give it that that is uh, is open and honest and things that they probably wouldn't say to you direct. You do it your you do it your own risk, <laughs> right? Half joking, but it will reveal some things that are incredibly tough to hear. And a litany of other things that help you understand how your actions are interpreted and perceived by other people, um, right, in your business and at home. Um, and I've seen new levels of breakthroughs in my relationships with everyone because of it, from employees to friends to my managing partners, um, and and also my fiance Stephanie. Right, it's been um, it's been incredible seeing what's come out of that. So I think. You know, that's one thing that I'm super proud of that's very recent for me, that I had to go through my own journey of realizing when the right time for an executive coach was, if you will. Um, and that is um, incredibly, I think, important for every founder at some point in their journey to, to recognize and get, which is, you know, someone to, to really be that foundational person who listens and helps advance, who understands behavioral um, behavioral psychology, who under, who's kind of been there in, in some capacity and able to understand what you're going through. And I'll kind of wrap all that into, you know, what would be an executive coach. Um, man, now the other side of it, right? Something that I, um, I'm, not as, uh, I'm not as proud of. <laughs> Where to go? Because there's, there's, quite a, there's quite a bit of those as well. Um, I've always had this um, really tough relationship with with marketing, right? And I like to think of myself as pretty creative, but I'm not a marketer, right? Um, and marketers, the right marketers, really have this interesting way and view of the world that that really need the right partners on the other side, on the operations side, on the strategy side, to be successful. And meanwhile. Wow, there's also a lot of marketers out there that um, I would say really don't know what they're doing. So it's hard to sift through things because they're very difficult to both understand in some cases and very difficult to find the right ones. And, and so knowing what's what and, and sorting through it before you know, you've become so at odds that it's never going to work is something that, um, that, I've, always, that I've always struggled um, quite a bit with, I would say, um, I would say, uh, you know, Stephen, my co-founder would probably put it in, in even more negative words than that. Uh, um, but it was, it was Q4 of, of, uh, 20, oh boy, what was it? 20, I guess, I guess it was, I guess it was more recent than that. It was, um, really this, this past, this past year, just over, I think 12 months ago or so. And, um, I was going through, um, this, this, again, this experience with, um, with what was happening with marketing in my own business. I guess it was Q4, 2019, we were rounding out our second year of business. We had some big wins. We got good clients over our first two years, but nothing was clicking on the demand generation side. It was like this area of the business that uh, just was proving especially difficult, which is um, happens a lot in in, in businesses. <laughs> um, for us, we had tried it all um, while the company was growing. Um, marketing efforts were were 
sporadic and results were stagnant. You know, we had email campaigns and loads of content and an active social media presence and, and geez, raving client testimonials, but it, we just weren't getting the right results from marketing or demand generation. And so we brought in our third marketing leader uh, in two years, imagine that. Um, this one with more of a focus on, on brand and, and really the, you know, the, the, the true strategic mindset around brand strategy um, and connecting back to that strategic rebrand, right? Um, I kept telling myself, this one's different. This one's different. Uh, you know, not wanting to consider the alternative if I'm wrong, um, right? Um, so, so what happened next was um, at the time, I wasn't looking at it quite like this transformative journey that I mentioned with the rebrand was was a good thing. I think, you know, I um, this was prior to me having an executive coach. So at, at times, I I would say I even acted like that childish founder, right? Um, of no, 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 it's got to be this. Like, no, you're wrong. <laughs> this is the way it's always been. This is the way it's going to be. This is what I've built. This is this is who we are. And um, and. I, uh, I, I almost, that almost led to us leave, leaving, or that almost led to us losing both of our um, core marketing people, one on the brand side and, and, and one on the demand generation and brand side and content side. And, um, and that was, uh, those were two of my better, the best marketing people that I've worked with, especially, you know, Lauren, who's still with us, um, who is, uh, Lauren Andel, who were fundamentally um, impactful in terms of everything from the mission and the vision and our unique selling proposition being redefined, right? Aligning with this hero's journey with a founder. Um, and so, you know, even though I made a lot of the wrong decisions through that process and probably didn't trust enough, it ended up okay on the other side because they, because of how powerful they were and being able to deal with my founder personality, but I definitely look back and wish that um, that I had been a little more open and and um, and less of a obstacle towards you know my own growth in the in the growth of the company. And I think that was also one of the pivotal things that made me realize I needed to get an executive coach to help me through situations like that. It's so awesome, isn't it, to be able to self-reflect? Because as you say, we can't so often we can't see ourselves take somebody else to sort of extract that or hold the mirror up to us and let us see our blind spots. Big time, big mm -hmm. time, especially as it relates to talent, right? I mean, talent is one of these things like, <laughs> uh, it's everyone's biggest challenge, right? It's like, mm -hmm. um, if you look on any list, any list, attracting and retaining talent, is at the top of the toughest challenges for business owners. I don't care what region you're in, what industry you're in, you know, what you do, hiring and retaining employees is at or near the top. And that is just being uh, driven further by millennials driving towards the workplace and ultimately Gen Z behind it, right? 55% of millennials are not engaged at work. 42% <laughs> of millennials expect to change jobs every two years. And millennial turnover costs the U.S. economy over $30 billion each year, right? That's just the U.S. <laughs> um, those are big numbers. And building a business of qualified talent people that are going to treat your clients, your customers, like you would treat them as a founder is never easy. In fact, it's damn near impossible. Shit, and it's even harder in the earlier stages of company where you have literally everything, right? A confluence of factors working against you. <laughs> Million things to do. Hiring is one of the most time-consuming processes that you could spend time on. Um, you likely don't have the cash to compete with comparable job roles at much larger companies. But the thing is, you've got something on your side, which is that you've got the ability ability to, to let the people in your organization grow, right? You asked me that question earlier about um, what's more important, people growth or company growth. That's why I answer people growth every time and why I love this stage of a business and its growth stage because people can grow. The, the best way that people can grow is 
in that type of culture where you are focused on people growth, it's not not as political, right? It's not as um, bottom line focused. It's it's really focused on um, how to unlock and and drive growth within people who help drive growth within the business. Um, and that's what we've really done at, at our company, right? To as much as reasonably possible, we've built Orchid Black as a meritocracy from the top down, if you will. Um, you know, the same way that we um, align our business model with, with clients, um, we align our business model with our employees. We may not be able to offer the, the best rates, right? The McKinsey level or big three level um, compensations. But, you know, we offer a piece of the pie. We offer a piece of what we're building, a piece of the, the growth that our employees are driving within Orchid Black, um, within the, 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 part, the, the, uh, the clients that, that we're working with, which is exciting, especially for millennials, right? Um, and, and really for everyone, but um, with this whole culture of leaving jobs every couple of years, not being engaged, right? What's more engaging and, 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 and fulfilling than both driving growth at a company and in time also driving growth within yourself and then having compensation aligned to both of those growth aspects, right? It might not be perfect for everyone, but for the right people, uh, um, it's, um, it's really, it's really a good feeling. And I think that's what companies really miss the boat on is what's the right, what's the right um, model, compensation model, if you will, um, and, and, and uh, other motivating factors, other um, driving forces, other benefits, if you will, within that you can provide to your employees to really make them make your company great and, and please your customers the way that you would. And uh, that's something that's that's really uh, really fun when you're able to unlock it. Absolutely, yeah. It's, tell us, as, as an individual, would you generally be pain pain based or pleasure based? Where do you sit then? I mean, you know, because I hear a lot you saying, you know, it's unlocking working with other with with customers and things like that. I mean, do you love the thrill of a challenge, or you know, and do you need the deadline, or are you you motivated differently? a great question um i think naturally having uh just been thrown into <laughs> business at such a young age uh and also you know some of the things that i went through as a child i i'm probably a little more pain-based where i really look for um whatever pains i can solve whatever problems i can solve I think um, one thing I've been working on is is making that a little more balanced, right? Not just focusing on problem solving, but also focusing more on celebrating little wins, which I would say is on the other side of that, right? On um, on you know the the the, the motivational. Um, I forget how you said it. What, what was it? it? Was pain versus well, pl pl um, typically pleasure based. Pleasure based, right? Um, so ple pleasure based to me, and this is how I'm defining and tell me if tell me if you're thinking about it in a different way is, um, you know, those, those motivational factors, whether intrinsic or extrinsic that that you're working towards. Um, and I, for right or wrong, probably more wrong. I was I was, I was always, again, way more pain focused uh, and on then jumping forward to the next pain and then the next pain without actually looking backwards at mm. at the pleasure. Um, and that is again, like I said, something that I've really been focused on working on, and um, and I would say I think my team would say that I've improved, but probably have a while to go on on celebrating the little wins. I do I do a few things that help with that, right? Um, on a on a weekly basis, on on Sunday night, I'll you know spend thirty to forty five minutes um, really reflecting um to to make sure that those sunday scaries if you will are uh admitted to and overcome and as part of like that planning for the week if you will i've uh, incorporated um at least 15 minutes of that to think about the the little wins that 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 last week has served right so focusing on it week to week um 
on a monthly basis, I also, this might sound super silly, but I, I also have dinner with myself in my notebook. Um, I spend about two to three hours um, with whether it's just at dinner, you know, at a really nice restaurant being catered to by myself um, or um, sometimes just in the backyard by myself with a, with a nice scotch <laughs> or two, um, looking at it at more of the monthly level, celebrating again, little wins, but also looking towards the month at hand. Um, and between those two things, it, that's, that's been transformative in me, um, celebrating my little, you know, our little weekly and monthly wins versus where I was always focused in the past, which is really annual and and forward um which i i noticed was was really starting to you know um spread throughout the organization and the last thing i want is to you know just have everyone focused all on pain um and so uh i think i think that's been that's been a journey that i've been working on but that i still have some room to grow mm, i think we all do that's that's life isn't it we where it's it's one big growth pattern really absolutely You're absolutely right want to be respectful of time here so tell us i mean if you were to try and describe your fire in the belly in one or two words what would those be jim helping founders and myself included navigate um muddy waters and get unstuck whether that's around growth around exiting or just around avoiding burnout hmm. um and you know we started Orchid Black to serve founders looking to get unstuck, grow and create wealth and founders that fully didn't realize what needed to be done to maximize the value of their business and exit. Um, our successes partnering with the right founders and companies have allowed us to achieve really incredible success over the past couple of years, which in turn allows us to serve more founders. And um, you know we're doubling down on our growth over the next few years as we expect to have several major exits additional exits um by the end of 2022 and and fueling these profits right back into the company to help even more founders uh achieve the exit exit and legacy if you will that they deserve um so you know whether it's growth plans or or mantra or uh passion fire up whatever you want to call it it's it's helping more founders um to get unstuck grow and create legacy and wealth um and uh and at, at the same time really represent what i finally found which is my own ikigai which i know we talked about earlier mm, no absolutely it's it is interesting there that it's 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 connected to the personal it's not just a let's grow a big business it is a you know you know personal values personal growth you know i think that's very very interesting and probably quite a reflection on most companies now especially what we've been through is that you've got to love what you do because it's uh, going to be a long life if you don't you know or else it just it'll never quite hit its peak because you're you're sort of yeah you're not fully invested yeah no it's very powerful so it's jim working personal life oh sorry sorry no no, no, no it's going on please I was just going to say, and it affects our personal life. Like, um, I didn't dig much into it, but I have this loving fiance that's perhaps the most patient woman in the world. And over the last seven years, she's put up with more 3 a.m. nights that I care. And I'm sure that she cares to count weeks at a time, gone for travel, unexpected cancellations, right? In summary, the life of dating an entrepreneur. And with that said, over the last year and a year or so since I've had an executive coach, I've prioritized my personal time more than I ever have in the past and um, focused on my personal growth roadmap. And it's been so transformational. So, you know, that wholesale culture that's instilled in us, it's okay to take a step back um, and, and grow yourself. So I love, I love all this conversation back and forth around not only company growth, but personal growth, because it really is your support system is, is so, so much a part of the ability to grow your company. And they should not be separated. They are very much integrated, if you will. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's keeping them together. Yeah. So, so tell us, where, where can people find you, learn more, hunt you down, track you down, stalk you, any of the above? 
Um, I take office hours every week, offer complimentary office hours. So, um, you know, feel free to, to contact me to see if there's a potential fit for our growth program or just to help point you in the right direction. You can do that either via email at jb at orchid.black or on LinkedIn um, under Jim Barnish Jr. and also under Grow Smart, Grow Fast, my mantra. <laughs> Um, and I would be happy to find a few minutes to connect and, and, and use some of my office hours to just talk through whether it's personal growth or company growth, see if there's a opportunity for me to help or introduce you to someone who can. I love it. Love it. What's the final message you'd like to leave with our listeners? Focus on growing your talent, um, so that they help grow your company and your customers, because ultimately if you take care of your employees your employees will take care of your customers and your customers will take care of your business well yeah super simple i like it super simple <laughs> jim listen thank you so much for your time today i really appreciate it i love all your sharing and there's loads of i mean i think i got a feeling we could talk all day but you know be um you know i think we really here is a lovely place to leave it so thank you very much for your time i appreciate it thank you pete it's been a pleasure well, that was another great episode of Fire in the Belly. You know, this really wouldn't be possible without a great guest taking the time to share their personal journeys. And boy, boy, sometimes it is personal. It's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that the people have been on. We've loads more episodes coming up soon and it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons and successes. So, all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly, and be the mightiest version of you.